He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. He was telling me like this coronavirus thing in China, and this is before it really took off on the news. He's like, man, I think we're going to have to do this quarantine. I'm like, what is a quarantine? What are you talking about? He's like, I think everyone's going to have to stay home for like weeks on end. And I was like, dude, that's crazy. There's no way that's going to happen. But I got off the phone and was thinking about it and was like, wow, if that does happen, like I'm going to be in a lot of trouble because I still have to pay all my expenses, all my rent, all that sort of stuff, whether I have guests or not. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast. Now, let's begin. All right, Nathan, another question and a minute with minute. But my question is for new and existing users, what can they expect to be in the horizon when it comes to the devices and the services that you guys offer beyond noise? There are a couple of things in the pipeline now that are pretty exciting for me as an employee and a a salesperson of minute. We're always trying to add new features as evidenced by some of the more recent ones like cigarette detection or outdoor monitoring. And We have a few either launching now or that will be launching soon. For instance, our call assist service will bring the ability to have a human caller actually help make a phone call and deal with the noise event at a property so that it's not just an automated message. We have a couple other exciting ones in the pipeline as well that I won't talk about just yet, but stay tuned. Well, you'll have to tune in to another Minute with Minute. So thank you so much, Nathan. And we're back to the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast. And of course, you know we have another great guest for you today. And this guest has been basically in line to be on the show since COVID. We haven't actually fully recorded and released an episode together, but we're finally here. So, Travers, how are you doing, my friend? It's so good. I'm doing great. Yep. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored to be on here, Will. So, it's been a long time coming been a long time coming and if you don't mind i'm going to share some context for the listeners you and i got to chat during covid or maybe like the tail end of covid and we did a recording i think we had wi-fi issues we had a bunch of kind of chaos happening at that time so we're like you know what let's not release it let's just record at a future date and put it out once we both feel confident in the episode so here we are 2023 finally doing that not only are we doing the episode but you and your business partner were Destination Air winners at the 2022 Book Direct Show. And it's been incredible to watch your journey and your story. You're now a father, a husband. You've gotten your business back up and you've grown and changed so many things since the last time we talked. So without giving everything away in this 60-second spiel that I just gave, why don't you introduce us to kind of where everything starts for you? What's your story and where does everything begin? Yeah, we're definitely in a different place than last time we recorded. It was pretty wild during the pandemic. So yeah, I mean, for me, I can kind of go back through the full story. I mean, it really started with the love of travel for me. So 
when I was about 15, I went on my first trip abroad and I can remember just seeing, sitting in a cafe and like looking around and seeing all these people and just thinking to myself, like, man, these people are speaking a totally different language. They have a different culture from what I'm used to. And I just thought it was fascinating. So that really just kind of planted the seed for me. I went to college at Georgia Southern University and graduated with a degree in finance. Got out of college and didn't really know what I was going to do. I was just kind of bartending. I moved back to Atlanta, was bartending, saving up a little bit of money so I could go travel. And at one point just decided, hey, I'm going to take a trip. I was supposed to go to Thailand for six weeks. Uh, left for that and, and didn't end up coming home for about two years. So spent the next two years traveling around Southeast Asia and Australia, then back to South Asia. And really just kind of had the mindset of anytime I have a decision to make, I have to choose the more adventurous one. So that led to some really wild experiences throughout that two years. For example, I was in Laos at one point and I had my plans to take a bus to this next city the next morning, but I ran into these five Australian guys and we ended up staying out late, going to a bowling alley and doing a bunch of drinking and uh, we made a crazy decision there that we decided to burn my bus ticket. They actually took it for me and burned. It was kind of funny. It was probably a $5 ticket, so it wasn't too big of a deal. Burned the bus ticket, and our plan was to buy a boat and go down the Mekong River. So we set a destination that was like five or six days away. The next morning, we woke up and spent the whole day prepping for this trip. A couple guys went out, found a boat to buy, and we bought a boat from this guy that they used it to basically transport people back and forth across the river. So it was nothing like fancy. I think it was like a hundred bucks a person that we threw in to buy this. And Dang. the deal was the guy that we're buying it from was supposed to be our guide on it to go down with us. And he would take a bus back home or whatever once we got there. So we get everything set up and prep this trip. The next morning we get up at 530, meet down by the river and uh, spend the next hour or two. The guy basically teaches me and one of the other Australian guys how to drive the boat, which was kind of crazy because you'd hit these whirlpools and it would shoot the boat to the side of the river and everyone would have to jump up with these big bamboo sticks and stop us from hitting the rock. So it was a little bit of a process, but he taught us how to drive it. And then we pulled over to this little sandy spot and he asked us for two waters and then just ran off into the jungle. So just left us stranded there and we were like, man, what are we going to do? So we just kept going. We had a piece of paper that had written in the local language. We need food. We need a place to stay. We need gasoline. And, and that's what we did. So for the next couple of days, we'd find these little tiny villages on the side of the Mekong river, pull up and show them the piece of paper and they would welcome us into their homes. We'd all split up and stay in different houses and they'd cook us dinner and the next morning we'd be on our way. So. That was just one of the things that happened. I mean, we ended up selling the boat and getting a bus way earlier than we anticipated, but, uh, but it was crazy. From there, I kept going, ended up in Vietnam, got a job working as a tour guide. So I basically lived on an island in Halong Bay. It was basically just a little sand patch with maybe 10 little tiny huts for people to sleep in. And I'd welcome backpackers every single day basically teach them how to rock climb and wakeboard. And then they'd send them on their way the next day. And it was a pretty great experience there too, but made it down to Australia, hitchhiked all across Australia, met some surfers down there and did a month surfing and on an island in Indonesia. And then I sold my surfboard and the Southern tip of India and bought a motorcycle, which my friends make fun of me because I called a motorcycle, but it was really a moped. I mean, I think top speed was like 35 miles an hour. 
and, and spent the next couple months driving that all across India. So I went all the way up into Rajasthan in the desert and up into the mountains. And that's kind of how I finished out the two-year trip. But, you know, that the reason I mentioned that story is those stories is because that trip really transformed me. I mean, going into it, I was really kind of a shy and timid guy. I didn't really like to put myself out there, but I gained so much confidence from that trip that really has helped lead me to where I am today and start my own business and things like that. So that, and it also kind of planted the seed in me too, that this nine to five lifestyle and culture that I grew up around and that most people in the U.S. grew up around isn't the only way to live. So that was kind of implanted into my head and we'll come back in full circle later on. So that's just wild to me. I never heard you tell that story with the boat. So to me, that's just, I can't imagine what you was going through you, these guys had just like one, you meet these guys the night before they burn your bus ticket. You learn how to ride this boat. The guy asks for waters and just dips into the jungle. And now you're just like trying to figure out with this piece of paper in a foreign language you can't read or write in. And I don't know if you can speak it, but like oh, no. in my head, I'm immediately, I'm like, what the heck It's something like in a movie you would see. Oh yeah. And I'm curious to know just from that to then being from like a six week plan to go travel to then spending two years, how were you like making money? How were you, did you have a nest egg or what was, no. Yeah, what was the logistics there? I had saved up about $6,000. I basically just, I wanted to travel. I didn't really know. I didn't have many friends or really any friends that had traveled, but I knew that I wanted to do that. So I basically just made sure that I didn't like sign any long-term leases or have any contracts that would keep me locked down to where I was. Saved up at six grand. And then I think the second day that I got there in Thailand, I found out about an Australian working holiday visa. So basically, if you're under 30, you can get a visa to work a year in Australia. And so basically that was like, I'm just going to kind of bounce around in Southeast Asia until I get low on money and then basically try to find jobs there and then fly to Australia where I could work and save up some more and travel after. So what was the wildest job that you had in Thailand? Well, I think the wildest job was definitely working on the island in Halong Bay. It was a party cruise too, so it got really tiring. Every single morning, the people were there for two days and they were just there to go out there and party. And I had to keep my spirits on the same level as them, which was pretty difficult and led to me leaving there pretty quickly. How long was that journey? And give me like an example of the itinerary for that cruise. I just... Not that I want to go, but yeah, I mean, it was backpackers, mostly Australians and Europeans. I think I was there for two or three months. I mean, going into it, I was like, I was eating healthy. I was eating paleo, was really into working out. And then all of a sudden I'm thrown into this where it's like every morning I'm waking up at seven and welcome to the island guys. We're going to go rock climbing. We're going to wakeboard and we're going to party. And you know me, it's not my personality. So it was a little tough, but, but yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, and say, I think when I ran into you at in Vegas, it's like, I was kind of like, let's go to the break of dawn. And you're like, ah, 11 o'clock. Yeah, just, I'm going to head home. Uh, yeah, I'll be there for one beer and then we're out. <laughs> yeah. So I, mean, I, totally I am getting old too. So remember that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's part of a question I kind of wanted to come to a little bit later in the episode, but going from such an extreme lifestyle of travel and adventure and really just like freedom and lack. And when I say this, I don't want anyone to think I'm saying something else, but like lack of security, right? No long-term leases, no agreements, no commitments, just go. And 
there's nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of people need to experience that before actually almost everyone should experience that depending on the personality. But to now being full-time self-employed business owner, a daughter, a wife, and very much the opposite of go travel. And I know you guys travel. I've seen some trips that you've done on Instagram and it. So you've been able to keep that lifestyle as an active traveler and adventurer. But I'm just kind of curious from that old traverse going through Thailand and Australia to today, what would you say has been kind of the big shift? Like what's big, I don't know, the big milestone change? Yeah, I mean, well, the biggest shift was really when I got home and got started with my corporate career. So I wanted to get this out of my system. I experienced it all. And then I came back and was like, all right, it's time for me to get started. So I wanted to get into medical sales. This will all come back full circle because now I'm not fully corporate. I mean, I have a lot of freedom, which I'll talk about later and how I kind of set that up. But yeah, I came back and I didn't want to live in Atlanta. I wanted to get away. So I moved to San Diego. I wanted to get into medical sales and talk to a bunch of recruiters and they were like, Hey, you need to go get into sales first. So they recommended selling copiers or selling payroll. So it's business to business sales. It's really hard. And it's going and getting your masters and sales and the sales process and all that sort of stuff. So was in San Diego, got a job selling copiers, which was really difficult. I mean, yeah, I had this newfound confidence in the regular world, but I wasn't confident in business. So. You know, I just remember sitting, basically my job was to make cold calls over the phone and then to go out in my territory and cold call in person all day long. So I remember just sitting there in my car, just so nervous, not wanting to go in these office buildings, like basically walking in and asking for the CEO. It took me a long time to get comfortable with it, but it's a skill that, that I learned that has really helped me throughout the rest of my career. But yeah, still a little bit shy. I mean, I had... One of the experiences there was like, I fell into one of the biggest deals in the company's history. And so I ended up working with this guy named Jeff Mason. He was like the senior vice president of sales. And I got to see how he worked. And so I really got to see, okay, he acts like this. So it's really just about, Hey, in the sales cycle, I can be myself and just be confident and work through that. And it really sparked that for me, which being in sales has really helped me in the short-term rental industry as well, in terms of acquiring properties and things like that. So yeah, I mean, I was well on the corporate career path. I, I left San Diego and moved to Nashville and got a job selling software to hospitals. It was a big jump in sales and uh, positioning. And basically my, my, my plan was to continue down that corporate ladder. I saw a great path to continue down that. But then at one point I just, uh, I had some money set aside and didn't really know where to invest it. So I thought it'd be cool. This is back in like 2016, 2017. I was like, it'd be cool to buy an Airbnb, to buy a house and rent out on Airbnb. I didn't know anything about it, but I thought it'd be fun to, to buy some more real estate and rent it out on Airbnb. I didn't know the regulations and things like that that were in place in Nashville, but I had a buddy that had a, a short-term rental business. So I asked him if I could buy him a beer to kind of tell me about it. And I walked in and immediately he was like, Travers, I don't buy a house to basically he explained to me rental arbitrage. He's like, see that, see that apartment complex right there? Well, they're 80% occupied right now. So you can walk in there and tell them that you will, you'll pay them for the 20% that they have unoccupied. They're getting money and they'll give you permission to do short-term rentals. So he explained to me all the steps of the process, the selling points, how to get things set up, how to manage it. Uh, and I went home 
the next morning I woke up and was like, man, that stuff that he's doing is really cool. But in my mind, I'd already had my path set. Wasn't really thinking entrepreneurial anymore at that point. But then I just, I started looking on Craigslist as before Zillow was really a big thing and looking on Craigslist for places for rent, started making a cold call list and was just like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I started making phone calls and got a lot of no's. I think I made probably 30 calls that day and got all no's, but one of them, I got a maybe. And that's when I was like, man, this thing has legs. This is an opportunity. And I kind of went from there, picked up my first two properties a few weeks later. And, and yeah, so, so that's how I started the business. I had kind of forgotten about the freedom in the life that we were talking about until my birthday, which was like a couple months later, I went down to Mexico and anytime I had gone out of the country, when I was working in the corporate world, I'd get reminded like, oh wait, there's a different way to live. And I was just sitting there thinking about it and was like, you know what? I got those two places. I had another couple in the pipeline and I was like running the numbers and was like, man, even with these four places, I think I can cover my living expenses. And then the wheels kept turning in my head and was like, you know what? I committed that day that I was going to leave my job, continue to build the business. So I gave myself eight months to build the business and then I was moving to Bali. So that's what I ended up doing and haven't looked back ever since. Dude, I love your story. And I'm curious, a little unrelated to short-term rentals and the business stuff before we get into that, but you keep talking about pre-corporate job, like a lack of confidence and just everything, a little shy, quiet. Is there anything in particular that was caused like that lack of confidence for you? Or were you just a normal, quiet guy that just, that's how you were just naturally a quiet, shy person? Or was there a piece like of your story that really affected that confidence piece? Yeah, I think it was really just who I was. I didn't like to put myself out there. I didn't like to talk a lot unless like I had good things to input. Um, so I was kind of like the guy that would sit back and let my friends do the talking and I would chime in if needed or when I felt like it was a good time to, to add value. But, but yeah, I mean, it was really the trip that kind of set that off. I was like, look, if I can travel around by myself, then, then I can do anything. So, so yeah, that's where the change happened. So are you comfortable doing a podcast now after all yeah, that? <laughs> I mean, I still get a little bit of jitters, but you know, it all comes with practice. Yeah, for sure. Well, I was always, I'm always just curious on early days and going into starting this business. And I loved in your guest form for the episode today, I saw a piece in there where you said you don't have to prescribe to the normal nine to five. And I love that you used the word in particularly prescribe. And I think, you know, what you've experienced with travel from Thailand to then corporate job to now like, all right, I'm going to build this business. I'm going to go live in Bali. Kind of walk me through this next phase of this journey for you, because obviously you've gone out and built this business with intent. Start with arbitrage. The business has obviously scaled. You have your own properties, some pretty incredible properties, which I know we'll jump into, but talk to me about maybe the word prescribing to nine to five. What does that look like for you in this journey? And why use that word particularly like prescribe? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll give an example where something happened that, that really clicked with me. I mean, I was working in sales before. Anytime I wasn't doing like revenue driving tasks, I wasn't really doing my job. So at one point, uh, after I'd started my business, I was still pretty new. I got like a co-working space 
And I remember sitting like, re- I was just sitting there like with my head down thinking for two hours, like thinking of creative ways to find properties, thinking of creative ways to stage properties, et cetera. And it was really useful. I mean, I was able to sit there by myself and have these deep thoughts and really access creativity. And I remember just sitting there and being like, man, a year ago, there's no way that I would have been able to do this and not have, feel super guilty. Right. So just giving yourself the freedom to like pursue whatever you want, whether that be growing your business, whether it be spending time with your family. When I was trying to work up the courage to, to leave my corporate job, I, I listened to the audio tape or the audible of four hour work week a couple of times to get me pumped up and give me confidence, et cetera, to make the step. But, but yeah, I mean, if you go into it with the intentions of being able to work on your business and not in your business, then it opens up a whole world of freedom that you, that normally you can't have with a corporate job, especially a high stress one, like a sales job. So. Sure. So I guess for the listeners going through this eight months of building your business to go to Bali, walk us through from then to today. What has the business transformed to be? Like, obviously, like we mentioned, you have your own properties and again, very well-designed theme properties and all this other stuff. So kind of show me, what does that look like? And I know you've learned tons of lessons on the way, especially with COVID. So walk us through the last three years, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, I set that eight month goal for myself during that time. I just continued to find rental arbitrage properties back then. You know what that was probably 2018 it was a lot easier to find them people didn't know how profitable short-term rentals were landlords etc so it was easy to negotiate with them and allow them to do it with to let you do it i think i probably had around maybe 12 properties by the time that i left for bali and that was another important thing that happened is for me going to bali i basically had to set up my business to run without me because I was in the opposite time zone. It was like a 12 hour difference or something like that. So that's something that like, I basically was forced to set up to make that happen, which has continued on. So where basically I have employees and have process processes in place where the normal operations part of the business is run without my input for the most part. And I get to focus on growing the business, finding properties and getting them set up, et cetera. All right, Slick Talkers, now for another dynamic sponsored duo of the podcast. I would love to introduce you to Vintory and Safely. About Vintory, we've had Brooke Fotts on the podcast, who is a founder, multiple times, and him and his team know numbers. They know data and they know marketing. They know how to help property managers just like you scale and grow their business by adding more inventory, aka more homes into your rental program that drive the bottom line. For all of you listeners that want to learn how to scale and grow your inventory, you can get a free digital copy of Brooke's book called From Zero to 500 Properties in Five Years. And for an added bonus, if you would do a demo of the Vintory platform, you'll get a $50 gift card to Amazon. Now that's a sick deal. And now to touch on our friends at Safely.com. Safely.com helps property managers just like you and I protecting the homes that they manage from structural damage to content damage and of course bodily injury. This means 
plates, linens, cups, couches, tables, curtains, walls, and of course, your guests themselves are protected. And this helps you by scaling your company in order to ensure that you are retaining owners and inventory in your program. If anything is broken or if anyone is hurt, you are able to make a claim through Safely and within three business days, you can get instantly paid out to replace any items and settle any claims that happen on site without having to deduct from your owner's payouts. That's why I call these guys the Dynamic Sponsor Duo. And thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Check out their offers in the show notes and back to the episode. Yeah, so I probably had 13 or so properties when I went to Bali. I came back after a while just to continue growing the business. And so I started expanding a little bit more from just rental arbitrage. I started having people reach out to me a little bit, asking if I could manage their properties. So we started doing some property management. And I started to try to buy properties. I would had all this experience with rental arbitrage, setting up properties. I knew what was, what worked, what didn't work. I knew how to decorate and onboard the properties and I knew what I should be looking for. So started acquiring properties to really get long-term wealth and more stability. So, so basically that's where my mix is now is I think I, I have about 35 or 40 properties. It's a mix of rental arbitrage places that I own and properties that we manage. So yeah, I have definitely learned a lot over the past couple of years. The pandemic happened and that really was pretty wild and pretty tough. I guess that's when we connected for the first time, but you know, I think I had maybe 25 properties or so, mostly rental arbitrage at that time. And I remember at the beginning, so, so I did, I just spent a couple months creating like an online course. So this was back before all the gurus are showing up on your Instagram and TikTok. Yeah. Uh, there was one guy named Brian page and he was just doing so well. So I was like, look, this is a great opportunity. I spent a couple of months creating the online course, basically pouring knowledge into it. I had uh, an on-site thing here in Nashville where 20 or 30 people came up and did like a three day course type thing that we continued on. It was really successful and, and I really enjoyed it. They got a lot out of it too. So the next step was to move it online. So I created this course. I was going to fly down to Costa Rica with my videographer two weeks, actually two weeks before I was supposed to go to Costa Rica. I was on the phone with a friend of mine. This is like beginning of March, 2020. And he was telling me like this coronavirus thing in China. And this is before it really took off on the news. He's man, I think we're going to do, have to do this quarantine. I'm like, what is a quarantine? What are you talking about? He's, I think everyone's gonna have to stay home for like weeks on end. And I was like, dude, that's crazy. There's no way that's going to happen. But I got off the phone and was thinking about it and was like, wow, if that does happen, like I'm going to be in a lot of trouble because I still have to pay all my expenses, all my rent, all that sort of stuff, whether I have guests or not. And so I got the bright idea. I was like, all right, well, I have a strict cancellation policy. Normally my prices are pretty high for the next two, three months or so, but I just went in and lowered all my prices to the minimum, like basically the minimum that we will charge and got like tons of bookings over a few days. Basically was like, all right, I have enough in bookings that if everyone cancels and I get half of what they paid, then I'll still be able to cover my expenses. So I was like, all right, we're good. Let's go to Costa Rica. Flew down to Costa Rica with a videographer. And literally right when I landed, I looked at my phone and saw the Airbnb was giving full refunds and my heart just dropped. I was just in panic mode. I didn't know what was going to happen. So that was the start of it. Ended up going back home and trying to figure out a way to save my business. So at that time, it was, I have two options, right? 
I can either just close down shop, close my business and let the past however many years just go away. And I mean, cause I've been building the business up into this point and just basically had the rug pulled out from underneath me. I was basically taking the money that I was making, reinvesting into more properties. So I didn't really have a ton of savings at that point uh, because I just kept reinvesting it. My mindset was like, if the market starts to change or whatever, I'll see my numbers dropping and I'll be able to just not renew my lease when the time comes up. I never expected it to be like an immediate type thing like it ended up being. So I thought the first option was close down the business, close up shop. The other option would be, let's just continue to try to rent to whoever comes into town and maybe I'll just drain my savings. I don't know how long it'll take. Maybe it'll take two months, maybe it'll take three months, but we didn't know how long this was going to last at that point. So it's pretty bad options right there. Go bankrupt <laughs> or close down the business you built, right? But I really just put my nose to the grindstone. Like I set a goal for myself that I had to fill one, one property every single day and was just getting brainstorming, trying to come up with ideas. I think like mid-March, I've made a website called medreliefhousing.com. I think you probably remember that. And oh, there's yeah. all the news. Like I was on the Tennessean. I was like, nurses and stuff are still going to be traveling. They're probably going to be coming to Nashville because there's a lot of medical facilities here. So maybe I can rent to them. That didn't really pan out much. I did. What ended up saving me, though, was construction workers. So a lot of stuff was shut down, but construction worker construction was still going here in Nashville. It's a really quickly, fastly growing city. So all these jobs were still working. And we had these subcontractors coming in from Georgia and Texas and all that stuff standing these extended stay hotels. So we started putting together like referral offers. Hey, I'll give you 200 bucks if you get other people to come in here. Melita and I, one of my employees, we would go and camp out at extended stay hotels at 5 p.m. when the guys were getting off work and try to steal them. Hey, you guys can pay the same amount and fit more people in these places and have a pool and whatever. And then I would ride my bicycle around because parking's an issue in downtown Nashville. Ride my bike around lunchtime from construction site to construction site, passing out flyers in English and in Spanish. And that's how I was able to find several people to, to house. But we ended up using that strategy and all these rental arbitrage companies were going out of business. So they were going out of business left and right. I figured out a way to basically put these crew housing, create this crew housing company, put these people in at break-even prices. So I'm basically charging them what I pay in rent just to have them babysit the property until things are done. So I started picking up all these other properties that stay offered was Ditchain and all these other companies. So I was actually able to grow during the pandemic and, and never really lost any money. So I was basically break even throughout the entire time, which is, which is pretty incredible. Then after that booking started to pick up a little bit and we were started transition back to short term rentals. We went in and started doing really outside of the box type designs, doing a lot of selfie walls. This is years ago. They're a lot more common now, but selfie walls, doing all this stuff. And so that we we're prepared for basically the boom that we had over the past couple of years. So that was a lot of fun going from not making any money to like, wow, we can keep raising the prices more and more. And, and there's not enough supply to, to handle the demand to where we are now. So I think now I have, like I said, the properties I own, I have my portfolio. We're seeing the market soften a little bit. A lot of people are really worried about that, but it was pretty inevitable. I mean, you look at post pandemic, there was a low supply, artificially low supply. So all the short-term rentals, not all of them, but a lot of them basically sold or put long-term tenants in there, et cetera. 
And then the demand was artificially high because people have been locked inside for a couple of years. So that just equals a great market for short-term rental hosts. Uh, but, you know, now the supply is picking back up and demand's kind of leveling out a little bit. So, so yeah, I mean, I think we're still around 2019 numbers, which is good, but it, it takes a little bit more now. I mean, when we first got started, it was like, just throw a couch in there and a TV and you're good. And now it's okay. Well, what wallpaper do we want to put up and how do the pillows match the wallpaper? And you got to really go above and beyond to, to stand out nowadays. hundred percent. I love, again, I've said this before. I love your story because going from all this travel and adventure to building the business. And then just like you said, the rug was just taken out from under you and Airbnb giving full refunds. I remember that day as well. I think in one day we gave up like $128,000. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm like, I legit was, excuse my language for all the listeners. I was shitting my pants. I was like, oh, yeah. this sucks. I was like, this is rough. And so for you, though, to create the medical housing option and getting all the news, which was incredibly brilliant, even though, yeah, you said it didn't work out in, in a lot of ways. I think that's way more than, again, like what Stay Alfred or any of the other companies that went out of business did. To then going into getting flyers, getting on your bike and just grinding and getting these construction workers to, like you said, babysit the property, go in at even and just survive. And I think, you know, a question I love asking on this podcast a lot is, do you feel like you were born or made? And when I say that, is born or made to be an entrepreneur? Do you think the entrepreneurial gene and spirit is born in you or it was made through tough times and other life lessons along the way. And I kind of curious to hear your answer on that because hearing about the quiet, shy Traverse to then busting, like just going and down and like just giving out flyers and just grinding. What would you say the answer to that question would be? Are you born or made to do this? I mean, I think people are born with certain characteristics and traits and IQ and things like that. But I think the more important part is what's environmental factors that have happened in your life. So think that you've learned, they add up, right? So, I mean, once you start making entrepreneurial choices, you might not, that might not succeed, but you know, you gained an experience that you're able to tag on to the next thing that you try. And I think it works like that with everything. I mean, you, you might learn something in high school from being on the chess team or whatever it is, you learn something and then you add that into your personality and your abilities, and you might be able to use that in the future in another circumstance. So. I think that it's something that you basically learn over time for sure. I love it. I'm curious. You said earlier too, in the beginning, especially working your sales job, you were basically forced to build this business to run without you for the most part. Obviously you still have the end all be all decision, but being forced to do that and it carry through to where you are today, you have, you have a team around you. You're able to spend time and travel with your wife and daughter. Like you're able to do a lot of stuff without having to be present and doing all the day-to-day -day operations. For anyone listening, what advice would you give them when it comes to building a business that doesn't require a mandatory, you need to be here every day, no matter what, you can't do this, you can't like, a lot of us, I think, especially I got into business without listening to the four-hour work week and without knowing Tony Robbins or Gary Vee or any of these influential business people in the world as well. So I just kind of was like, oh, like I have an idea. This would be fun. Let's figure it out. And right. failed along the way a couple of times. And now here we are today. But, you know, what advice, I guess, would you give for anyone starting or even who's 
been running their own business and just feels stuck. Like I would love to know how you would kind of approach that from a different maybe perspective or lens if you didn't have the opportunity to start the way you did. Yeah, I mean, I think that is easiest if you set up the process when you're first starting out, right? <laughs> if you have the mindset of, hey, I'm going to have this business working for me instead of me working and being like the main part of the business. So if you have that goal in mind from the beginning, then, you know, it's way easier. It's a lot harder to do once you build the business around yourself and then decide that you want to like take some time away from it. I mean, usually when that's the case, the option is to basically to sell the business. So, I mean, there, there's plenty of books to read. I think there's one called Profit First, maybe. There's a couple that I've read that, that are really good that talk about basically changing that around once you have the business started to pull yourself out of it. But yeah, I mean, basically just hiring people that you trust and working with them. And I mean, I've gotten really lucky with some of the people that I've hired that are able to basically take things off on their own and figure them out without having to come to me. So I think that's probably a big part of it is hiring the right people. And just building the processes the way that you need to be without you involved fully. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Struggled with that a lot. Cause a lot of my processes are in my head. It's just, oh, yeah. I just know it. I, ha I remember the conversation. I remember how to do this. I remember to do that, blah, blah, blah. Would you say you were, you're more, I'm trying to word this right. You're more of an integrator. You are a kind of a CEO type operator where you just you know you need to get this documented, so you just do it out the gate? Or do you think you're a little bit more of the freedom, creative side, and you had to learn that kind of, hey, I need to document this before um, oh, things? Yeah. No, I'm not good at that. I wish that I was way better. I wish that I was a CEO, but I'm not good at the management operation side of things. I'm at heart a salesperson, right? So what brings me happiness and fulfillment is like going out and finding. Once, once it's found, the excitement's gone for me. I just want to go find something else and mm -hmm. continue down that track. So no, I'm definitely not a CEO type. I think that at the size that I am, it's easy. It's not, it's, you're able to basically get away with not having documents for every single sort of procedure. If I wanted to scale up to 200 or 300 properties, then I'd certainly need to be better at that. But I'm sticking around where I am because I'm not great. At that. So. <laughs> Basically, my goal is to like in improve, like increase the quality of my properties over the quantity, right? So I'd rather have 10 houses that I own fully in cash that are high performing than having 500 that I manage, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, hundred percent. And that was going to lead into a question. You have a mix of arbitrage and management and ownership. I'm curious, obviously having a good mix is always the best approach rather than being just arbitrage or just co-hosting or just whatever do you have a preferred do you like arbitrage more than you like ownership do you like ownership more than you like co-hosting vice versa what's your kind of preferred approach when it comes to the properties definitely owning the property i mean there there's so many benefits that come with owning property i mean it's to build long-term wealth the best way to do it is through real estate right mm -hmm. so I basically view the rental arbitrage part of my business. I mean, that's what gave me the freedom. That's what allowed me to leave my corporate job and to be able to build this portfolio and have the freedom to travel or have the freedom to like, you know, spend time buying and building other properties or whatever it is. So the rental arbitrage piece is great for cash flow. I mean, you can get in with a with first month's rent and deposit and then whatever the furniture costs and you can recoup your money in, in a couple months. But it can go away really quickly. I mean, 
the landlord could decide they want to do it themselves or whatever, or just kick you out. And so you can basically build up a huge business. I mean, you could be making a million dollars a year and then COVID happens and you don't have anything because if you continue to invest back into these rental arbitrage places, you don't have the cash. So mm -hmm. if they all go away from something like the pandemic, then you're stuck with nothing, right? So mm -hmm. ownership is the best for me. Management is good. I mean, they all kind of go hand in hand. So it's, hey, we're already managing these, our own properties in-house. Uh, why not add a couple more that are in the same area that are going to perform well and throw them into the bucket with the rest of the properties that we're managing? So it's a nice add-on. And I know a lot of people that do really well with managing at scale. So yeah, all three are great in their own ways. Yeah, with the management too, there's no, not much risk, right? So you don't have to put down a 20% deposit. You don't have to pay... You don't have to put your name on a lease or your business on a lease and put the deposit down and all that sort of stuff. So they're all great in their own way, but they all have some downfalls or some are a little, owning is harder, right? You need a lot more capital. It's a little bit more risky in my opinion too, but it's definitely the, the best way to get long-term wealth and freedom yeah. too. Well, earlier too, you said with Airbnb giving away 100% of the refunds rather than doing like that 50% that they originally had, depending on the policy you put in place. What does your company look like now when it comes to distribution of income from travelers? Is Are you on multiple channels now? Do you have a big push towards Book Direct? Kind of, do you have government or contracts? Like, what's your other source? Are you still, or are you still reliant on Airbnb? I'm curious. Not that there's anything wrong with Airbnb, but. For a lot of the listeners, we have a lot of people that are obviously, you read the book direct show. So very, like we advocate heavily for that, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's funny because I remember years ago when Clubhouse came out, I think you and I were talking, you were talking about direct booking and I was like, man, I don't really see the benefit in it. I mean, the way that I viewed it back then was like, it takes a lot of work to get direct bookings and more work than I think 8% Airbnb fee or whatever. So that was my mindset back then. It was like, mm -hmm. I don't want to work for years and constantly be working, get direct bookings just to make a tiny bit more. But that my attitude's changed a little bit since the pandemic. And now we're on Airbnb, VRBO and direct booking. We're looking at maybe getting on some other platforms, but we're really pushing the direct bookings nowadays. We're working with a lot of influencers and partnering with some other companies here in Nashville. Most of our properties are like super bachelorette themed, pink, crazy wallpaper on the ceiling. It's like, themed properties. So we'll get influencers in there and give them discount codes. And that's what's really driven our direct booking business. It's not like we're doing 50% direct bookings, but there's a couple of properties that, that we have that, that are probably getting around 30, 40% of the bookings are direct bookings. I love that. I love that. And <laughs> you're not wrong. Like book direct is still really hard. Mm -hmm. It's a hundred percent, especially for when you look at, oh, 8% more, do I really want that? But the, I think the part where you're talking, especially talking about wealth and uh, building a sellable business and other stuff like that, having the ability to say there's a lifelong value in this customer that does book direct, they do save us money for that time, that 8% compounded over five, 10 years was really valuable. It's really valuable for a lot sure. of businesses and whatnot. So I love that you're really spreading through. Outside just Airbnb, especially after all that. Yeah. Like no, and on top of that too, another thing to your point with the market, the markets, most markets getting more saturated nowadays here in Nashville, you're one, one short-term rental or one Airbnb out of 8,000 on their website, right? Or more. 
So basically having a brand for yourself and getting direct bookings takes that away. So instead of you being one out of 8,000, you know, you can hit a certain niche and you're one out of a small handful. So it separates you from the rest. Definitely. And I know we wanted to kind of get into some of your themed houses. So for the listeners, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure everything's plugged in the show notes for your Dolly Parton house and all the other cool stuff, just because I think it's really cool what you guys have built with this experiential hospitality. Hence, one of the reasons why you were one of the Destination Air winners in 2022. And I'm, I just, I just love the story, the way you've built it, the approach, the mix, like the lessons learned along the way. You have so much to share. So we definitely need to come back. But as we can kind of wrap up this episode, I told you this before, we have every guest before leave a question for the next guest without telling them who they are. So if you're ready, I have your question prepared for you. All right. Uh, let's hear it. All right. So it's from Jesse Vasquez. And Jesse left the question for you, Travers. What is the one defining moment that changed everything for you? And it can even be a negative one where people would look at it as a negative moment. But really, in your eyes and your story, it was the most impactful. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was a moment in my corporate career that, that really was a big one for me. Basically, like my first month in this business and in this new company, I was the youngest sales guy about 20 years, like the first young person that they had hired in a long time, I think. And I basically got put on the spot, like after a month of being with the company, I had to go and do a presentation in front of the entire sales force. And, uh, and at first I said no, but then I talked to my dad and he was like, look, Travis, this is a huge opportunity for you. So secretly it was like during the presentation or during the conference, they basically did a fake roulette thing and came on my name. So, but I actually knew like a couple of weeks beforehand that I was going to do it. So I spent any time I had a free chance, I would practice, practice and practice. And I went up there in front of everyone and just crushed it. It was all about the preparation. And I went up there feeling confident and comfortable. I was listening to pump up videos on YouTube in the bathroom before I went out and went out there. Like people went crazy afterwards. Like I was getting emails from my CEO and people like that at this big company. Dang. So it was really cool. But yeah, I mean, it just really taught me like how important preparation is. And, and if you prepare for certain situations, then you can really blow them out of the water. So, I mean, I'd say that was one a pretty impactful part for me. One of my favorite mottos is victory loves preparation. So. I yep. think that's, that's a great one to share. And now to have you pass the baton off to the next guest, what's something you want to know without knowing who they are, their story, their journey? What's the question you would want to hear on the podcast that I could ask them? I guess it's really the million dollar question. I guess most of the people are in hospitality or the short-term rental industry, but I guess the question would be, what do you think the future is for the industry and how do you plan to stand out? I guess, what are you going to do to stand out and continue to be successful in the industry? I love it. I love it. Well, if you had one link, which we're not going to do, we're going to make sure everything's in the show notes for the listeners to check out all your properties and more about you. But if you had one place to send people to get in contact with you, to reach out, to connect, what would that destination be? Would it be email, website, et cetera? Yeah, I think that my email would be best. It's travers at staycomo.com. Perfect. All right, Travers. Well, I know we didn't get to cover into a lot more, so look out, listeners, for a part two. We're definitely going to need to do that. But I just want to say thanks for taking the time and not just the time to record today, but the two years of time basically yeah, is taking <laughs> to get to this point. 
But Travis, I love your story. I think you have so much value in what you are able to share with the industry, with people around you. So just really appreciate you coming on the show today and talking about a little bit of what has gotten you to where you are today and kind of building the business that is allowing you to have the freedom, not only for yourself, but for your family. So it's really incredible to see what you've done. Well, thanks. Thanks, Will. And thanks for getting me back on here. I enjoyed it. Of course. Well, me too. And for all the listeners, make sure you like and subscribe. Check out everything for Traverse and Stay Como in the show notes because you don't want to miss the properties, the business, and the brand that he's building over there. So give them some love. And of course, like always, we'll see you guys again next week. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, possible. We hope you enjoyed the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week.